morning everyone. It's lovely to be together with you again this morning. We're going to finish off the last part of our Christmas series. But first of all, a little story. Now some years ago in our household, we coined this phrase, family fun minus one. And that was because as the children grew up, instead of doing something all five of us all together, there was somebody always missing at a birthday party or a school trip or later on university, one would go, one would come back. And so it was our kind of kind, humorous way as a family to say, yes, it's family fun minus one. We wouldn't wait for all five of us to do something. If four of us could do it, we still would. So I remember one October half term, it was family fun minus one. And four of us were off on holiday, me and Julian, Matthew and Chloe, and Rachel was in Oxford University. And so we went on holiday and we came back and we came back in the middle of the night and we came back and here we were outside our house in the middle of the night, tired and cold, and we fumbled around for the key and we found we had no front door key. There was no way we could get in the house at all. And we checked all the bags and everything. And then Julian said, mm, I think I remember taking it off when I handed it over the, you know, the car keys for the guy, I uh, threw it in my rucksack. I remember thinking at the back of my mind, maybe I should zip that. And we were like, oh no, what are we gonna do? And fortunately, Julian's parents lived at the bottom of the road. And so we went down and we knocked them up in the middle of the night. So could we sleep the night? But they had visitors staying already. So that night we slept on the sofa and on the floor. And early in the morning, I rang Rachel in Oxford. And I said, Rachel, do you have a front door key? Yes, great. Get on a train right now, right now. Just go to the station. Don't stop. Don't wait for a later train. Don't wash your hair. Don't have a shower. Don't pack a bag. Just come, come now. Now, anybody who knows our daughter, Rachel, she is very smart and um, likes to be tidy and do her makeup, and do her hair and be ready and organised. And the horrific thought of jumping on a train without a shower or anything was like, no way. And I was like, no, Rachel, you have to come right now because we can't get in and we're really stuck. And so fair play. She just left her, her lodgings and she got straight on a train, came back, we picked her up. We could get into the house, gave her some dinner, dropped her back at the station. She was there and back in one day. Family fun, minus one. But then the minus one had to come and rescue us and get us out of a difficult situation. And when we were like, Rachel, you've got to come right now. Today's story is a little bit like that. Somebody was in danger. And that was actually Jesus, the baby, was in danger. And something had to happen right now. But this one was a little bit more serious than not having a key. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Remember when Julian talked to us about the wise men and they were just leaving Jesus and they got warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Now, if you remember, they traveled many miles from the east. They'd gone to Jerusalem first to speak to Herod. Herod's advisors found that the baby would be born in Bethlehem and Herod says, come back and let me know. But the Magi are warned in a dream to go home a different way and Herod is absolutely furious that he has been tricked because really he wanted to get rid of the baby boy. And so he, he sends out soldiers all across Bethlehem to kill baby boys under two. So the Magi are like going home by another route and the soldiers are descending on Bethlehem. And here is baby Jesus and Bethlehem was only half a day's walk from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is now in danger because the soldiers are coming to kill all the babies. And we're gonna read it now from Matthew 2. And watch out for the amount of divine intervention through dreams. Here we go, Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. And this is talking about the Magi. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Rama, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he would be called a Nazarene. Wow, that is some story. The drama and the tension. Will the baby be rescued? And we're going to look a little bit at the two men in this story. We're going to look at two men and a country. Okay, so here we go, Herod and Joseph. Now, both these men act quickly to the changing circumstances. Herod enacts a terrible murder of innocence and Joseph dramatically escapes with his family. So we'll look at Herod first. Now Herod was known as Herod the Great. And what motivation did he have in this story to do this terrible thing? Well, we can see that Herod's ambition drove him even to the extent of infant genocide, his own people. And he goes in with this terrible slaughter. And at the heart of it is pride, anger, self-preservation and jealousy and I'm amazed really at this terrible pride to think that he can thwart the purposes of God. We know that he brought his advisors together to research where would the king be born and discovers that it's Bethlehem and what a like terrible mistake in a way of the magi going straight to Jerusalem to the king saying hey king we know a new king's going to be born do you know anything about that and of course Herod was really worried and when he finds that it's going to be Bethlehem he plans that he will get rid of the baby. But because the Magi go home another way, he has to think of plan B. And what kind of leader would deny their people the long-awaited Messiah? And it's all to keep himself in power. He was so proud and jealous, not thinking clearly for the people, but only about himself, Herod the Great. Now, we know a few things about Herod. I mean, he worked his way into power under the Romans. He did have a bit of a leg up through his dad. But he, he um, at that time, as we know, the, the Jews were living under this cloud of oppression under the Roman occupation. And they had very punishing taxes. It was very difficult. And Herod got appointed governor in 37 BC. And the Roman Senate pronounced him 
king of Judea. Now by king of Judea, he was what's known as like a client king. And a client king is where the ruling power allow you to be king, but really they are the ones in power. So he kind of had limited power. And the Romans used him as like a king of Judea, where actually he was, ethnically, he was an Arab. So, so he's raised in like a Jewish community and he wanted to keep the Jews happy and the Romans happy and anyone else. So we know that he, like he was given an army and this was in order to um, conquer and establish his power, crush any rebellions. And at the same time, he used his position and the huge taxes that he um, put on the people for these big building projects. And partly this was also to generate, um, f you know, curry favor and show off his power. So he was this kind of king that really was about himself and his greatness. And he ruled with um, a, a terrible ruthlessness because we know that he wasn't, he had other threats to his power and he wasn't a stranger to assassinations. He actually killed three of his own sons and his wife in the pursuit of power. And any challenge to his power, he didn't hesitate to get rid of the competition. In fact, the Roman Caesar Augustus said, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. So obviously the Jews wouldn't kill a pig, but he killed his own sons to remain in power. And so Herod's terrible actions here um, are kind of like a dire warning to us. I mean, writ large, obviously, because we're not going to go and do something like Herod. But it's a warning to us in our own life about the things that pride, jealousy or anger can bring in our lives. These are very devastating in our own personal lives and in the relationships that we have with others our selfishness or our self-preservation and as followers of Jesus it's great to know that Jesus brings a deep change in our lives when we when we come to Jesus and we begin to follow him um, when we like confess our sins to him he comes into our life and he begins to renew us and change us and he brings a deep change in our lives that we're no longer directed by our selfish motivations selfish ambition self-preservation pride jealousy but instead of that, we become renewed in our heart to reflect God himself. And God is all those opposites, isn't he? He is slow to anger. He is full of mercy. His love never ends. When we look at Jesus, we see his humility, his servanthood, his peace, his generosity. And so when we follow Jesus in this way, it brings a radical quality of life into our everyday experience to have peace of mind and heart and the quality of our relationship. So I want to give us all a challenge as we come into the new year now about our Herod responses, insecurity, anger or pride, to ask ourselves, why am I thinking this? Why am I feeling this? What is being challenged? Where do I need healing? Where do I need to grow? Why am I having an angry response to this? Why am I guarding my rights? Why did I have a mean response to that? Free me, Lord, to be generous. Why am I acting so proud and defensive? So we can just challenge ourselves on those things. I remember when Julian and I first got married, to my dis surprise, I discovered that I had a real problem saying sorry and forgiving. And so if someone did something that offended me, I, I, I struggled to forgive and I struggled to say sorry. And I was able to get to the root of why I felt this way. And for many of us, we may have something that has hurt us in the past or, or a wound or something that has happened that that makes us act a certain way now, but Jesus can heal us. And I found that, you know, past hurts made me want to, to close up and not be vulnerable, to be hurt again. So to be able to say sorry or forgive is making myself vulnerable. 
But um, God came in and healed me in that way that I, I began to learn how to be quicker to forgive and quicker to say sorry. What is it for you? Is there something in your life that you think, Do you know, I'm just going round in circles with that thing. But Jesus rushes in to heal us and change us, that we progress in our relationship with him. Look at what Paul encourages the church in Colossians. He says this in Colossians 3.10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, we put on the new self and we're being renewed in knowledge, our understanding of how we think and behave and who God is. And so we become renewed in his image, that we become like the creator in his image, full of love and peace and joy and forgiveness to others. Again, Paul was teaching the church in um, the Corinthian church, in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And he says, we all, that's all of us, with unveiled faces, that's we can come to God now with no fear. We, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So can you see we're being transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's a challenge for us at the start of this year, and especially in lockdown when these things come to the surface, to give our hands, uh, give ourselves into the hands of the Lord who can heal us, who renews us, who trains us, and who, who transforms us to be more like him and less like Herod-type feelings. So secondly, we're going to look at Joseph. There's a few things that appear to me in this story with Joseph. So firstly, Joseph was also very quick to respond, just like Herod. But his was a sacrificial response, not to harm, but to save. And as soon as the wise men left, that very night, Joseph is warned in a dream, and with no delay, he wakes Mary and Jesus, and they're gone. And they escape to safety before the soldiers come. Now, Joseph, when you think about it, he has already been on such a journey as a person. So number one, he finds his fiancée pregnant as personally devastating and a cultural disgrace that he assumes that obviously the baby is not his. Then secondly, he gets a visit from a dream to find, oh, phew, the baby is God's. That's great news. But he is to become the adoptive father of God's own son and to care for Mary and child. So now there comes this like big leap of faith and a big responsibility. So this is a lot to take on. It kind of wasn't his plan, but he takes this on by faith. Then thirdly, he's part of this huge upheaval where because of the census being taken, the whole Roman Empire is displaced and people are traveling everywhere. And there was no internet, of course, so everyone had to go in person. Do you remember the days we had to go and do things in person? Now you can just do it on your laptop or on your phone. But Joseph and Mary, like everyone else, they had to travel a long journey. He takes Mary, who is pregnant, and is really challenging on this long journey. And then fourthly, Mary goes into labor in Bethlehem, and there's nowhere to stay, and she ends up in a stable. Now we find after that, you know, after she's given birth, she does get moved into a room, and if, like Matthew explained to us a while back, um, when it says in a stable, it means like there's a house with a part for the animals, and that's where she would have gone. And after probably, you know, the next day when other guests have left or discover that there's a mother with a newborn, she gets moved into a room, because we know that the Magi visit her in a house, so she gets moved into the house now and out of the stable. So anyway, all these things are a huge challenge to Joseph. He has this like leap of faith. He has to trust in God. He has to trust Mary. And then finally, after all this, it feels like um, everything's okay. And then this new news comes. Now, I think it's interesting how 
when Mary has just given birth and they're in the stable, and when the shepherds arrive, what a great confirmation that must have been to this young couple. A confirmation of this long journey of trusting in each other and trusting in God. It's real, it's real, because the angels arrive and say, an angel told us this, and then a choir of angels appeared, and here we are to see it just as the angels told us. And this is a great confirmation to know it's not just us, this is, this is real, this is really happening. And in that astonishing vis visit of the Magi, you imagine these, these like guys from the East coming and bringing extravagant and rich gifts. And so it must feel almost like this has come to an end now, but rather than coming to an end, there's another part to this story that suddenly as the Magi leave that night, as they all go to sleep, an angel visits Joseph in his dream and warns him, go now, warning, Jesus is in grave danger. Herod is coming to kill him. And we see Joseph swift to act. Now it's interesting how there's other people we see in the Bible who are not so swift to act. So Zechariah, when Angel Gabriel brings him the message about um, John being born, he can't, Zechariah can't believe it. And do you remember Gabriel says, I, Gabriel, I stand at God's right hand. I stand in God's presence. I brought this message and Zechariah still can't believe. You think of Gideon needing multiple confirmations. You know, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry, the ground is dry, you know. Esther, she needs three days of prayer and fasting. Now you imagine if Joseph had said, well, hang on a minute, Lord. Uh, I just need to know that, you know, is the ground wet and the fleece dry? Uh, can I have a confirmation? Can I fast and pray for three days? But no, he had to act right now, straight away, to escape the soldiers because they're only half a day's walk away. So on, on, if they were walking or perhaps coming on horses, they would have been really fast. And Joseph, he acts straight away and he managed to take the, take the child, take the baby, but all the soldiers are on the way and they kill all the babies to and under, which is really terrible. And I wonder if the gold from the wise men might have helped facilitate a fast escape. So we see as well that not only does he act quickly in response, but he has the wisdom as well. You see the wisdom in the story that when he learns that Herod is dead and he can go back, but then he learns that Herod's son Archelaus is ruling, he thinks, well, let's just be on the safe side here. And instead of going back, they settle in Nazareth instead, instead of going back to Bethlehem. But what I love to see about Joseph, how does he respond to this ever-changing environment, not knowing what's coming next, now it's all changed, now it's changed again, how does he respond? And what we see overwhelming is that he listens to God and he responds to God. Can you see there's so many dreams, so many visits in the dreams, God speaks to the Magi in a dream, to Joseph in a dream, and we see how Joseph had learned to recognise the voice of God, oh this is what this is, and to obey. And, and you can see how that first visit that this is okay, the son is going to be, you're going to call him Jesus and he is born of God, that he starts to trust and realise that and he's quick to obey when this next one happens. And so let us learn to hear as we go into this new year that again is a little uncertain once again, that we learn to hear the voice of God. And as Tim was saying in the kids spot earlier, as many different ways through the Bible, through one another, through our prayer time, through learning and studying, through talks, let's really give ourselves to that study. And um, we're doing this great course at the moment, Kings and Kingdom Intensive. It's great to give ourselves to those notes and study them and understand and get to know Jesus better. 
And I would encourage all of us as we go into this new year to make sure our prayer life, reading scripture, meeting together, listening to talks, that we go deep in understanding who God is, that we can learn to recognise his voice when he is speaking to us, and that we can be quick to respond and to be obedient uh, to what he is saying to us. I'm astonished as well studying this once again at the vulnerability of Jesus, that he was willing to lay aside his divine rights to be born as a baby. It's just amazing how he's just in the hands of human beings. But also I can see how, you see how the angels were almost like a, a seasonal bodyguard. It's amazing what the angelic activity speaking to Mary and to Elizabeth and to Joseph and to the shepherds and to the wise men and to Joseph in an escape. And it's almost like in the in the arrival of Jesus, it's like surrounded by angelic activity, protecting him by, by heaven and earth, by man and by heaven. His, um, you know, coming to this world was protected. It's amazing. I, I thank you, Lord, for doing that for us, that you were willing to humble yourself and make yourself fragile and vulnerable, that you could grow as a man and go to the cross for us. It's amazing. And um, it's just an interesting thought about Egypt I wanted to share. And if you remember many years before, another Joseph, who was Jacob's son, he'd been sold into slavery, he ends up in Egypt, and there he finds success, he becomes prime minister, and he's able to save uh, that nation from a terrible famine that lasted seven years. And then when there's a reconciliation with his father Jacob and his brothers, they all move to Egypt as well. So Egypt becomes a place of success for Joseph, and a place of re rescue and safety for Jacob and the brothers. But of course we know that um, the, the uh, Israelite nation, they grew so big that eventually Pharaoh oppressed them and they became slaves in Egypt. And then Moses had to lead them out and they had this dramatic escape from Egypt. And that many times in scripture, Egypt is used as a place um, to represent sin or those things that we're trapped in or enslaved by. You know, in Hebrews and Corinthians, it's referred to and as well that the people of Israel kind of escaped Egypt, but they carried Egypt in their hearts. Very interesting. But we can see here how for Joseph, Egypt was a place of success. For Jacob and the brothers, it was a place of refuge and safety. When Moses brought the people out, they had to escape from Egypt. But now his Joseph, Mary and Jesus escaping into Egypt, that Egypt becomes this place of refuge and safety once again. And what it tells us is it's not so much about our location, but it's about the location of our heart. It is all about our heart. What is going on in our heart? Not where we are, but where we're at with God in our heart. And to know that it's not necessarily the place that makes us safe but it is God who makes us safe. So whatever's going on around us, it is God who is our safe place, our refuge and our strength. The psalmist writes it like this, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. So if we have any fears or concerns, to know that he is our rock and he is our refuge and safety, and just like Egypt can't be pinholed as one place, it was a place of success and safety, but also a place of sin and slavery. Actually, it's about what's in, what's in our heart before God, and he is our refuge, he keeps us safe. So as we end this story, we know together that we are also in uncertain times. And Joseph, he was in uncertain times. It was stressful, he didn't know what was gonna happen next. But what he did know was to trust the voice of God to listen to God and to obey. 
And so as we go into 2021, it is a little unknown still. And as the future is a little unsure, we may have to recalculate in our minds our expectations of things we'd normally do, you know, birthdays, celebrations, weddings, funerals, holidays, remember holidays. And instead look to Joseph and how he responded to uncertain times. He listened to the voice of God, he heard from God, he acted quickly and he acted sacrificially to protect those around him. And so he is a good example for us to follow, not to get frustrated or down at this time, but to hold on to God because he is there for us and he loves us and he will never change. He is our anchor and our security. So let's pray together as we um, close this little reflection on Joseph and Herod. And now I'd like to challenge you and me. Let's challenge our Herod responses and aim to be a man like Joseph. If you notice with Joseph, in the end, it wasn't just what he did, it was who he was. He became a man of faithfulness, a man who listened to God, and a man who kept others safe. It wasn't just something he did, it became who he was. And I want to become that kind of person, a Joseph type person. So let's pray together as we close. Lord, we thank you again for Psalm 46, where it says that you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. So we pray now, Lord, from Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my saviour. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. And we thank you, Lord, that many years ago, Joseph kept you safe and he took you and Mary to safety. And I thank you, Lord, that you were willing to be vulnerable for us, to go all the way to the cross, to come to this world as a little child to pay the ultimate price for us that we could know you and have a life with you. Lord, we confess our sins to you that sometimes we do have those uh, selfishness or jealousy or um, uh, unforgiveness towards others. I ask, Lord, that you will help us and change us, that we'll be renewed to be more like you. I ask, Lord, that we will grow as followers of you like Joseph, that we will listen to your voice, that we will hear your voice and be swift to obey. So Lord, I ask that you will bless every person uh, watching this talk today. Your rich blessing will be upon us as we seek to follow you in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, thanks everyone. Hope you have a great day. All the best for a good week.